Our text today is in Mark chapter 15, verse 22 and following. Mark 15, verse 22. Well, this is going to be a big week. Billy, I was acting kind of ignorant. I have thought about it as extensively as I possibly know how to think about it. Uh, it's going to be something to see, apparently. There's people coming from everywhere. Uh, I think in western North Carolina, I heard an estimate. I have no idea how they know these things. Maybe 500,000 people to western North Carolina. So how do you know that before it happens? I heard there was going to be 500,000 down in South Carolina in the western part of the state. And then I don't know about the low country down there. But uh, anyway, I think millions and millions of people are gathering to follow along the trek of this solar eclipse that's to occur. People are going to be looking up, I guess. If you're around any crowd of folk, you'll find people kind of with that gaze. Whole peoples. Hundreds of people. Wherever you might be, if you can see that many people. It's the first uh, total solar eclipse in 38 years in the United States, excluding Alaska and Hawaii, since 1979. Uh, most Americans will be able to see, to see it if they drive to see it. Somewhere along that, that place across the country that it goes. It's a once-in-a-lifetime type situation for our country. Uh, the last time there was a total eclipse across the whole country uh, was in 1918. So uh, it's going to be a pretty big event. Uh, Parts of 14 American states going across the country there will go, will go dark. We're told it will be spectacular. I've seen lots of videos, I guess, on it coming across. I traveled down, uh, down the South Carolina this week. Me and my grandson took a little road trip down to Charleston. And uh, you know all these signs that they have on the highways now? Every one of them said something about the solar eclipse. You know, be ready for it, have your glasses ready, whatever. You'll need eye protection, by the way. Have you heard about that? We bought our glasses. Of course, it turned out to be one of those deals where it wasn't the real glasses, so <laughs> I guess I'll just have to turn backwards and listen to it. I've already been practicing it, though, in the shadows. You know, you can get a good light and make a shadow, and you can make it go across, I guess, this way. Try that at home. Make that shadow. <laughs> or you can go outside and do it on the parking lot. Uh, I understand that you will also be able to see some stars. I wonder if you can look at the stars without the glasses. I might try that. Uh, one eye anyway. Just risk one eye. Uh, but Mars and Mercury and Jupiter and some of those planets, I think you perhaps will be able to see. So it's a big event. A solar eclipse, an eclipse of the sun is a rare thing and our country will be getting into it, already are into it. Our text today is in Mark chapter 15 and uh, we're going to be, we're going to entitle this sermon, The Eclipse of the Sun, The Eclipse of the Sun. So let's look at this uh, passage together today. 
Mark's one of my favorite passages when I'm reading about the crucifixion of Christ. Um, I've, I read it probably most of the time. I, I've occasionally gone to other, other uh, books of the Bible to read it, but this is my favorite. We start reading verse uh, 22. <clears throat> and they bring him, brought him, unto a place called Golgotha which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour that they crucified him. And the superscription of the accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroys the temple and builds it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calls Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let him along. Let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And so today as we think about People coming, people coming together to view a sight, to view something spectacular, something very rare, something if it's only once in a lifetime you see it, it's, well, it's it's pretty rare. And I thought about the people, the people who came that day to witness the Son of God, the Son of God being crucified. On the cross, Jesus Christ, and along with his family, there were family, one disciple and a few family and close friends right there at the foot of the cross, there were others that gathered. They gathered at the foot of the cross, and some were soldiers. They were there to to crucify Jesus. They were rough and hardened soldiers. They, They were the execution team. They had seen a lot of death. They had witnessed some very atrocious kinds of deaths. 
they were used to the crucifixion. When they had finished their work, they played a game. They threw dice at the foot of the cross there for the, the, the clothing of those who were crucified, including Jesus. They just could kind of shrug their shoulders at the cross. There's people today, when they think of the cross, they just shrug their shoulders, kind of pass it off as a happening, as something that just happens. Also, there were robbers who were crucified with Jesus. You see in verse 27 that they were crucified with him. They were professional terrorists, they were men of violence. And terror. They believed a person ought to get what they can get. It doesn't matter who gets hurt in the process. They did not choose to be there that day. They were compelled to be there, obviously. They were crucified alongside Jesus. They were so bitter that they joined the crowd in taunting Jesus and ridiculing Him. They believed that the world owes them something and that whatever way you can do to get it, you should get it. It's your God-given right, you might say. Luke tells us that one of those thieves on the cross repented. Right there among Jesus' last breath and this man's last breath, his life was changed. He repented of his sins. And he prayed, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There were also around the cross that day passerbys just coming by to see. They were part of that crowd. And execution was a, was a showtime in some cases for some people. Especially if there were those executed that they wanted to see executed. And these thieves, and for a great many, Jesus fit that bill. And they hurled insults at him. They shook their heads at him. They said uh, to him, you come on down from the cross. They ridiculed him. They did not believe him to be the Son of God. They might have liked something about Jesus, his healings, his persona, But in the end, they turned against Jesus. And they were willing to see Him crucified. The priests were with them as well. They were really the ringleaders of the whole mock trial that Jesus went through. The demand for Jesus' death. They called at Him from below the cross. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross. Let's see Him Let's believe. If He will come down from that cross, we'll believe. All these miracles that had taken place, Jesus' teaching, nothing convinced them. They wanted one last show. They did not believe it. They were just catering to their own wills and their own appetites. They were there. There was some unknown fellow, he's not named, who was standing near and... uh, When Jesus cried out, he ran and he got a sponge with uh, 
with vinegar and he put it on a stick and he offered it to Jesus to drink. And we might think of that, well, that's a, that was a compassionate moment. It was not really. He really, wanted to, he really wanted to see one last spectacular thing. So he was there to watch, see if he could revive Jesus a little bit and continue on with the torture. He was driven not by compassion, but by curiosity. He was what you might call a thrill seeker. There are many today that live to see one thrill after the other. They travel about, we go from one thing to the other, just trying to see if we're still alive, I guess. So these are some of the people who were around the cross. It's good for us to remember this about the cross from the Word of God. Is that God had a plan at the cross. There was a plan involved. Uh, The executioner's uh, death here was all within the plan and the purpose of the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse uh, 18, it says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. This was somehow in God's mind and plan from even creation. God foreknew the, for, the fall of man. He foreknew the fall of man. And He had already decided how He would bring redemption to the world. And of course, throughout the Old Testament, we see the place of sacrifices made. And they were just a picture. People by faith would present these sacrifices to the Lord. They did not truly understand everything about it. But they presented their sacrifices in behalf of their sins. They were doing it by faith. One day, God would send the true Lamb of God without spot and blemish. And this would be Jesus Christ. And he would be presented as the Lamb of God uh, to be crucified. So this cross says something about the nature of God. Um, The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It says all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Somebody back in the 13th century said the only sure thing in life is death. That's before somebody else added, you know, taxes. <laughs> but that's true really from the beginning. Men have always been aware of death. It's always been a part of something to look into the future. And so death has to be involved. The wages of sin is death. That's true for all of us. Maybe you've been with a loved one and perhaps have seen, had the occasion to stand with someone as they close their eyes and pass from this world. It's really quite an awesome thing. It's amazing. We are so used to seeing each other in life. To witness the passing is quite amazing. But 
The Bible says that God used death. The death of the cross. God used death to bring about His plan of forgiveness and eternal life for all of us. In Romans 8, uh, it says, For God's love is revealed in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe Romans 5. It's in one of those two places. God commends His love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait. He's not dying for a bunch of people who are all got it all figured out and got it all together, who live a pretty, you know, decent life. He died for all of us. We're all under one sentence, and that's the sentence of death. And Christ died for sinners. You may think you're too good to be a Christian. Some really don't think they need God's forgiveness. But the Bible says all of our sins, all of our sins are sins. And they all separate us from the love of God. They eclipse us, you might say, from God's love. And it's the cross that brings about the passing of that eclipse of death in our life. The cross is still the principle. We are to die to our sinful desires. So once we become a Christian, the cross is still very much a part of our life. We are the people of the cross. We are, the, we are in the plan of the cross. We are, we are those who are to live even by the cross. It's to be part of our life. Uh, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And so the cross is so important. We're to never forget the cross of Jesus Christ. Not a day in our life should we ever forget that we also are bearing a cross for Jesus. The cross has pain about it, doesn't it? We think about the people of the cross, the plan of the cross. What about the pain of the cross? The cross always involves pain. Physically, physically, we look at this picture that's portrayed here in the New Testament, and we see a painful death. But this is only really just a, an outline, you might say. This is just the barest facts about the death of Jesus. The cross, in Roman days, the cross was, was designed, it was extremely, extremely painful way to die. If you were looking for a way to die where you could have mass execution, this was the way to do it. The cross is the way it was designed for ultimate torture. It was the epitome of cruel and unusual punishment. So whatever occurred there at the cross, whatever could be done to inflict pain and suffering was done there. The striking, the flogging, the thorns, the nails in the hands, through the feet, holding the weight of the body, the suffocation from the breath, seeking to hold yourself up so you could breathe. The unbearable pain increased as time went along. And so it was, it was a totally painful, torturous way to die. It was designed to terrorize. The Romans used it to terrorize the population. Anybody that would have any, any connection whatsoever with opposing Roman power, Roman authority, this was the kind of death you had to look forward to. There was a famous saying in the old Roman days, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was just, it was doublespeak. One chieftain said, the, 
the, Romans, uh, the Romans create a destruction, a desolation, and they call it peace. And so the, 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 the cross was extremely painful. But the Bible tells us that it's not even the pain of the cross that we talk about when we think about the suffering of Christ. It wasn't the pain of the cross. As horrendous as it was and as physically tormenting as it was to Jesus and to those others who were being crucified, there were thousands, perhaps millions of folks who had been crucified across the Roman world. We don't know. But it was the spiritual suffering of Jesus. This, these verses, verse 33 and 34, look with me a moment. In the sixth hour, this would have been at 12 o'clock, noon, high noon. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. How many hours is that? Nine minus six, three hours. Not two minutes, three minutes. Three hours. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. This is Aramaic. This is sort of a cross between Arab and Hebrew. That's what Jesus spoke. Aramaic. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the darkest hour of the earth. I don't know about the physical parts of the darkness. I don't know exactly what it looked like, obviously. But this was the time when Jesus was paying for our sins. This was the time when He who was without sin bore the sins of mankind. He wasn't bearing only the weight of His body, but He was bearing the weight of the world's sins. So grievous was this to God. So hard to look upon this to God that there was such a darkness created that God Himself would not look upon Him, could not look upon Him. So painful this is to the heart of God. This is the time, some have said, when God actually turned His back on Jesus. This was the darkest hour that you could see. He had to avert his eyes. Think of this. Jesus, who had always well pleased the Father. Many of us, I would say all of us, we're proud of our kids. When we think about our children, you know, our hearts beat love for them. Well, God's heart toward his Son... He loved the Son, and the Son loved Him. Jesus had always enjoyed what we call perfect communion with Him. We don't always have perfect communion with our children. Sometimes we're chasing them down, you know, when they're little, and they're running. Better not run too fast. I tell you, that whooping can hurt more when you run fast. Jesus and the Father had never been apart. But the awful sin of mankind was laid upon the Son, the Lamb of God. Jesus took upon His own soul the sins of this world. 
Now we, it's really hard for us to even fathom that. It's hard for us to realize. Do you realize the depth of your own sin? You might think of the depth of the, 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 depth of the sin of somebody notoriously bad, maybe. We might think of that and think how evil that is. Do we realize the darkness of our own sinfulness? And sometimes we have this idea, you know, that sin is not a serious thing. It's sort of a flippant thing that God can just forgive it. There's nothing to it. God could just forgive it. No, that's not the case. The cross proves that to God, sin was a horrific matter and is a horrific matter. And sometimes we might laugh at sin. Uh, uh, when it hits in our life. Uh, we might make fun of those who are caught in certain sins. We might blame others. It's, 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 it's interesting how many of us blame our others. It's, it's common now to blame your parents or your grandparents or your genealogy for what's become of you in your life. The Bible says we're responsible for our own sin. We make the choices of our own sin. Sometimes we try to minimize our sin by comparing it with other folks. Well, when I look at so-and-so over there, you know, I'm not where they're at. There's a lot of folks that that's their excuse for not coming to church. They look at us and they say, well, you know, I'm doing as well or better than they are. What use is it to come to church? We come to church to worship God. Worship God. Worship the God who can forgive us of who we are and what we have become because of sin. We worship God. We come to Him. We thank Him. You might say the difference in a Christian and a non-Christian is basically the Christian is saying to the Lord, Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Thank you for assuming that place in my life. Thank you, Lord. And so... uh, Comparing ourselves is certainly, you know, certainly crazy. Uh, if we think our lives are so good sometimes, we need to see it from a different perspective. There was a salesman who drove by a barn uh, one day on his travels, and uh, the farmer was out, by, out on the barn whitewashing the barn. And when he looked at the, what was all around the mud and, the, and uh, all the rusted tools and things around or whatever, uh, that barn looked just sparkling white. It was just, it stood out. It was amazingly white. The next week he rode by and it had snowed. And the white, the pure white snow was on the ground. And when he looked at that barn, it looked like it was a dull gray. You know, when we put our life up against the pure expectations of God, you know, we are sinners. We are sinners. Look at the power of the cross. It says when Jesus breathed his last breath, he cried out. In verse 38 it says, And the veil of the temple was torn in twain from top to bottom. What, what happened at the cross? What was the power at the cross? What took place at the cross? That's the moment of the sin payment. That's the moment, that day, when Satan, who had all kinds of designs on Jesus, that was the day when Satan was defeated. That was the day when hell was defeated. 
That was the day when those who would believe in Jesus and believe in the, in the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus, that was the day that made it possible that you and I could be saved, that you and I could be forgiven, that you and I, when that day comes when we die and we face the Lord, we'll not face Him just in our own selves with our own sin upon us. We'll face Him in the power of the blood of the Lamb of God. And we will be, we will be forgiven and we will be, we will be given the gift of eternal life when we receive Christ as our Savior. That peace that only can come by the cross. That peace that can only give us abundant life and eternal life. That's where it comes through the cross. When you think about those people around that cross, looking up, we're no different than they are in who we are. You say, well, I never we don't know what we'd have done then. We're no different than them. It's as much our sin as their sin that necessitated the cross. God's Word plainly said there's no greater love has any man than to lay down his life for his friends. In the old classic by Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities, there was a character named Sidney Carton. And he died for Charles Darnay. The young Frenchman Darnay had been condemned to the guillotine. And when Carton learned of the plight of his friend, he determined to save him by laying his own life down in his place. Not for the love he had for Darnay, but for the sake of Darnay's wife and children. And he gained admission to the dungeon. The night before the execution, he changed clothes with the condemned man. The next day he was let out and he was put to death as Charles Darnay. Before he went to the dungeon, he looked up at the light of the bedroom window of Darnay's family. He was led by that light. And that love, it led him to death. Before he died, here's the famous quote out of the book, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I've ever done before. When Jesus was at the cross, he was led by the light of his love for us. He came into the dungeon of our world and put on the soiled garments of our world and of our sin that we might wear the robe of His righteousness through obedience. And so when I think of this passage and I think about God and I think about His Son, I think about this eclipse and I think about how it seemed to just come out, cover the whole world and how for a time that whatever was happening there spiritually was so amazing, you couldn't even look at it. You couldn't even see it. Not even with a special pair of glasses. You could not see what God was doing. But once it all cleared, once it all cleared, Jesus was put into that tomb, and on the third day, it says an angel who's whose presence was like lightning exploding in the eyes of those soldiers. He was raised from the grave. The light became apparent again. 
I think about old Paul. Sometime well after that time, when Jesus has even been uh, ascended into heaven, Paul's on the road to Damascus. And there he's met by a blinding light. He whose heart had been in the darkness, he who had slaved away trying to please God, he he who had even become so perverted in his thinking that he thought he could just kill off the followers of Jesus, he was so much in the dark. His total soul was dark. And he met the Savior. He looked on him that day and what happened? He didn't have his glasses on. He was struck blind right there. Some days later, his sight returned. And the light that he had seen had come into his heart. It come into his life. You know, that's, that's what's up for us to do. We have to open the shades. We have to open the window of our soul. We have to open the door of our heart and let the light of Jesus Christ shine on our heart. Otherwise, we're in the darkness of our own life apart from God, separated from Him. But when we open our heart, we accept, we believe in Jesus Christ, then He gives us eternal life, He says. Will you bow with me a moment? We remember that song from Amazing Grace where we sing, I once was blind but now I see that's the experience of coming to Christ have you accepted Christ as your Savior do you know what it costs for Him to give you the invitation to open your heart's door your windows of your soul and say come in Jesus bring your light into my heart I want to give my life to you. Father, we just pray right now. Maybe there's somebody right here, right now. We're not going to sing today. But I want us just to keep our heads bowed. Is there someone here today that would say, you know, I really understand now. God has convicted me of my heart. Or maybe I've known this a long time. And I don't know any way out. And I see today I need to repent of my sins. Just like that thief on the cross. Just to turn to the Savior. And say, Lord, remember me. I'm opening my heart to you. Remember me in your kingdom. Who today will say, Today, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. I want Him to come into my heart. I want to know Him personally. I want Him to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. Who will pray a prayer? Will you pray this prayer? This is the prayer of your heart today. A prayer to ask Christ to be your Savior. Dear Lord, thank You for loving me. And thank You for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. And today I acknowledge I am a sinner. And I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. 
And I want to follow you my whole life as my Lord and Savior. Did you pray that prayer today and ask Christ to be your Savior? Perhaps there's Christians here today and you say, you know, I've wandered away from the Lord. When the sun is passing over, I'm not in that trail where the light of His light is really shining through my life. Others see it and I know it. Today, Lord, I want to move to that place, back on the road, you might say, to the place where I'm walking with Christ. Is that you today? Dear Lord, thank you for loving me and sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. And today I want, to, I want to rekindle the fire of my heart. I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord today, afresh and anew. I want to recommit my life to Christ today. Can you pray that prayer today? Well, Lord, we, we love you and thank you. That God, the eclipse of the sun, the Son of God was not, not forever. It passed that day at the cross. And God, that you're looking straight into our hearts today through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.